0: This episode of the Vermont Awana podcast is brought to you by HeddyVermont.com, www.HeddyVermont.com, your resource for all of the cannabis news and events in Vermont and the greater Northeast region. We have got resources, including advocacy and how to get involved in the political discussion opportunities for businesses to reach your customers and find your partners and collaborators and starting soon our membership program we're starting to have members only events free admission of the july first party all of this and more at headyvermont.com. In today's episode, we are talking to Professor Michael Milburn, a PhD professor of psychology. He has developed an app called the Druid app. It measures impairment. That means that you can take a baseline test when you're sober and then afterwards, whether you've consumed cannabis or alcohol, actually use this to measure your impairment. Hugely important tool for public safety, for your own curiosity and personal interest, advancing science and research in cannabis and beyond. We've got a great conversation with Professor Michael Milburn. That beautiful music is courtesy of West End Blend. We had a chance to interview them on a past podcast, and guess what? They are coming back to Vermont. They're going to be at higher ground here in Burlington at the end of March. Shout out to West End Blend. You can check out their album, Attitude online check out some of the singles on YouTube and check them out in person in Burlington the end of March. That's West End Glen. Before we get into our featured interview, we have got your news update courtesy of the weekly roll-up. This is Hetty Vermont's newest feature. It is an email newsletter. It is on the website. The weekly roll-up is the best place to get all of your cannabis news in Vermont, greater New England region, and nationally. The weekly roll-up for this Saturday, March 3rd, when I'm recording, starts off with two Vermont stories that are actually making national news. The first is a saliva testing bill that has now passed the Vermont House of Representatives. It will go to the Vermont Senate and then if passed to the governor's desk. We'll talk much more about this. In our upcoming segment and feature interview, the second Vermont possible bill, that's being proposed, it has not been voted on yet, is a public nuisance law, or as I call it, the weed-too-loud bill. If this were enacted, your neighbors could call the police and make a noise complaint, essentially, if the odor of marijuana is interfering with them. So, two big pieces of legislation in Vermont, one of them has passed the House, the other was just introduced, that are making national news. Around the rest of the New England region, we've got big news in Massachusetts where the Cannabis Control Commission has been working through the details of legislation in the goal of getting Massachusetts adult use market for over-the-counter sales open on July 1st. The latest deal that has been made will delay cannabis clubs and lounges. I should say lounges, cannabis lounges and delivery until at least 2019. Policymakers felt this was too much, too fast, too soon, too difficult, and they had enough on their plate. So they said we are going to wait until 2019 until we do delivery and cannabis lounges. Meanwhile, in Maine, the Downey State has passed legislation that will protect employees from their employers firing them for failing a drug test for cannabis. So that means that if you're an adult over the age of 21, your employer can give you a drug test but could not fire you over the presence, just the presence of cannabis in that drug test. This is a major step forward in separating the questions of chemicals in your body at any given time from your actual level of impairment. That is a big law in Maine elsewhere around the country. There are financial happenings in Colorado where legislation could make it easier for investors. Wisconsin is going to open up for industrial hemp and Pennsylvania's medical marijuana program is off to a huge, huge start. We get a lot of this medical, uh, sorry, a lot of this national news from the cannabis from marijuana moment newsletter and from radical Russ. I'll give those guys all some free shout outs because great resources for national news. That's it for the weekly roll-up, presented by Hedy Vermont and HettyVermont.com. All right, folks, you have heard me mention it before in the introduction. This week's feature interview is with a professor, Professor Michael Milburn, PhD. He got his PhD in psychology from a little place called Harvard University. He is currently a professor of psychology at UMass Boston. And we're talking with him because he has developed an app for your smartphone called Druid, D-R-U-I-D. This first came on my radar back in 2016. Can you believe it? A full 18 months. And it, to me, it, it blew my mind because it answered the actual question that people want to know, which is, how much cannabis does it take to get somebody impaired? Right now, we understand that because of anatomical, physiological, and botanical purposes, the amount of cannabis which I smoke, which you smoke, which my mom smokes, which, you know um, a 25 year, you know a 20 year old college student smokes, it's going to affect us all differently. If we smoke the same amount, the same exact kind, it would affect all of us differently. So unlike with alcohol, where we've been able to develop a universal test that uses chemicals, right? We know how fast alcohol, uh, sort of evaporates into your bloodstream. It's a fixed rate. So we have a breathalyzer that can determine your level of impairment, but for all of the reasons I mentioned before, it is simply not possible with cannabis and not possible right now. However, this question is the white whale facing policymakers and frankly, a lot of people in the cannabis industry. How can you determine somebody's impairment? Here in Vermont, it's especially relevant because the answer to that question recently is saliva tests. Now for a lot of different reasons which I talk about with Professor Milburn, this is a terrible idea. But let me just break down the simple and most obvious principle. That giving somebody a saliva test after they have been pulled over does nothing but confirm the presence of the chemical THC in somebody's saliva. This does not determine if this person is too impaired to drive. It does not determine how much this person may have consumed in the last hour, because again, your titration and evaporation uh, rates are going to be different depending on what you've used and how. So the brilliance of the Druid app is that we're using technology and common sense to measure the impairment, as Professor Milburn says, before you get in the car. That's what he wants to prevent with this app. By the time that you're getting a saliva test on the roadside, you've already made that decision and decided that you're okay to drive whether it's after you've been at the bar drinking alcohol, whether you've been consuming cannabis, or whether you you know have to take a prescription drug for a condition that you may have. How can you determine before you get in the car, using some science, whether you may be too impaired to drive and may wanna wait another hour? Again, this is a huge question facing everybody because it's a basic public safety issue. And part of being impaired is that your judgment is not totally clear. So having technology like an application again, which I think is just a brilliant, brilliant use of technology. And and we'll talk about the technology and kind of why this measures your mental ability as well as your physical capabilities. But again, this is something which everybody can download. It's available right now in the app store, whether you have Android or uh, Apple, you can find the Druid app and for 99 cents actually test this yourself. So again, this is using technology to measure impairment. So you are actually determining, all right, I'm going to use the Druid app before I get in the car. I know we've been hanging out for a few hours, but um, you know that last stuff was pretty strong. And I don't know, let me check. You can actually use this. Or in an even more practical standpoint, imagine if you have a cannabis cafe or lounge. If you're concerned about people's abilities when they leave this lounge, then maybe the Druid app is something that somebody could uh, show to a budtender or a valet to kind of show that they are not impaired. Now, again, I think a lot of this is overreaction because we know statistically that legalization and liberalization of cannabis laws has not led to increases in traffic fatalities, has not caused the sky to fall, and has not caused our roadways to become uh, scenes of mayhem. So, again, I don't want to give too much credence to what is inherently a red herring and what is a really false claim that has gotten too much credibility. But these are the questions that policymakers are asking. And instead of relying on unproven expensive technology like saliva testing, they could be investing and at least discussing technology like the Druid app. This was one thing that really bothered me about our conversation with uh, with Professor Milburn is that I have been talking about his app to the Vermont legislature, to members of the House Judiciary Committee, to members of the Senate, and said listen, This guy's out here, he's in UMass Boston, that's not that far away. He would come up here, we could get him on the phone, and he could talk about his research. Again, this guy's got a PhD from Harvard, he's a professor of psychology. He may have something to add to this conversation as somebody who has done the research. So you really can't claim ignorance when somebody like Professor Milburn is out there and willing to talk. The good news is that as we discussed, he is talking with a lot of folks in other states about his technology, about the research, and about why something like a saliva test or a chemical test is not going to work. Now, does he have an interest in selling this app? Probably. Presumably, yes. But, you know, I'm really not so concerned by whatever his financial motivations might be because he's bringing real science and research to this. And I would encourage people, academics, to uh, to check it out, to test him. Uh, and I hope that maybe a result of this conversation is at least we can get some of our elected officials here in Vermont and what other state you might be listening to to speak to Professor Milburn share this interview share his contact information he was super easy to track down and as you'll hear incredibly interesting guy with a wild background um, academia education and applying some common sense and technology to a lot of these cannabis conversations so without further ado Professor Michael Milburn, PhD from University of Massachusetts, Boston campus. Our feature interview is brought to you by three Vermont hemp companies I'm shouting out for free. Creek Valley Cannabidiol, Humble Roots Horticulture, Aromed Aromatherapy. Three businesses who have been supporting us from the jump who are doing it here in Vermont, growing in Vermont, processing, selling, employing in Vermont, Thank you to all three of you. Creek Valley Cannabidiol, Humble Roots Horticulture, and Aromed Aromatherapy. Go check them all out today. Catch them at our next Heady Vermont event. And now, our featured interview with Professor Michael Milburn and the Druid app. And after getting my
1: PhD at Harvard in psychology, I have taught at the University of Massachusetts, the Boston in the Psychology Department for 40 years. Uh, and one of my specialties has been... Uh, uh, research methods, measurement, and statistics. Uh, and uh, two years ago, actually, uh, the, when uh, in it was March uh, 2016, when uh, uh, the looking ahead to the November uh, ballot, uh, the, the question four to uh, uh, legalize uh, adult use cannabis, uh, the uh, Charlie Baker, uh, our governor, Republican governor. Democratic Attorney General Maura Healy and the, the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, did an op-ed piece in The Globe, uh, urging people to vote no on question four. And it was a, uh, I thought, uh, a very uh, a dishonest op-ed piece in their argumentation. They, they cherry-picked uh, uh, the results of some studies. Uh, they uh, misinterpreted the results of other studies. They used rhetorical devices, you know, saying, uh, oh, the tax money created would only be a small percentage of the overall budget, when that's not the issue, it's what percentage of the usable funds does it have, because most of the budget's already allocated for health and public safety and so on like that. So I wrote a letter in response, and uh, the Globe published it along
0: with a letter from uh, Dr. Lester Grinspoon. Yes, Harvard researcher yes yeah, so he was a, a, a Harvard medical school professor
1: he's retired now uh and, and i've known his book for yeah his book came out when i was in college in the in the 1970s uh called uh, marijuana reconsidered where he went through all the historical evidence and pharmacological and everything and said there's no reason that this should be illegal and so uh uh, uh They published a letter from him as well, and I I saw that he lived in my town. So I contacted him and went over and had lunch with him, and we had a a great talk. Uh, He had some great uh, Carl Sagan stories
0: that I'd love to <laughs> well, I I, I was going to say, you know, you say Dr. Grinspoon is one of those people who is both immortalized as a academic and also somebody who has a strain named after him in the cannabis community. And <laughs> one of these people who you mentioned, Dr. Sagan, you know, who, like Carl Sagan, has brought a, a different level of credibility to these conversations as you yourself. So there are only so many academics who are willing to to look into this from a scientific perspective. And it's a it's a great part about being in, in a city like Boston where you can just go right around the corner and find another <laughs> leading international researcher. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, uh, anyway, I, I had lunch with him.
1: Our lunch was over. He, was, I remember he was standing up to go, and I said, oh, and, you know, I thought a way to uh, to measure impairment from cannabis. Uh, and he said, oh, you should do that. You should do that. That's a major argument against legalization. And I said, uh, great, great, I will. And, and I got a uh, – I found a, an app programmer and uh, designed the app uh, after a critical examination of the driving impairment literature for uh, sort of identifying the the uh, essential skills for driving that are impaired by both cannabis and alcohol and and opioids. So, um, so and uh, you know I, I and this actually came in the context I had previously uh, you know, a year or so before that had kind of sort of wondered, gee, how would you measure how stones you are if you wanted to compare, uh, different <laughs> strings or something like that? And I, you know, I was just sort of wondering and I'd never, uh, and hadn't followed that up, but then, uh, and then so, and actually the, you know, measuring impairment, uh, 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 implies oh yeah cannabis is is uh, has just negative effects uh and it actually sort of occurred to me one of my interests is creativity and the on mm. the at least anecdotal evidence that cannabis increases uh, uh, creativity I'm I'm an artist and I play the guitar so that that kind of uh interests me and actually yeah. there are there are sort of uh there are neurological models that, and evidence that indicate that if some components of the brain are disabled, that can release other activities. And and that's actually something that, that Carl Sagan uh, had argued and, and some bioanthropologists argue that cannabis and humans have co-evolved so that both have gained some
0: evolutionary advantage. Obviously, if humans are using cannabis, they're spreading the seeds all over the world. So
1: that's right. an advantage for the plant. And if it enhances creativity, then that's a that's a key uh, element, a key advantage that cannabis is conferring up upon humans, and evolutionarily. But anyway, so so I, I identified what were the major driving related skills that were uh, impaired, and I I created I designed tasks. To measure that, um, do
0: you want me to go through the? Yeah, I, I I would love to because I know that you know it's a popular it's such a popular discussion amongst people who you know are familiar with cannabis and use it and a lot of them say that they are more aware drivers um, you know a lot of them say that they are not affected and a lot of it I suspect depends on how often and frequently you've used but I think kind of boiling down to what should be at the heart of the political arguments right is what impact does this substance have on the skills that affect your driving? And I would imagine those are things like coordination and reaction time. Um, and I would, I would love to hear sort of how you quantify that because you're bringing a scientific analytical mindset to something that's been totally anecdotal. And I'm, I'm wondering how you, not only what are the standards for determining how well someone's driving, but also how do you get a baseline for how stoned somebody is? And how it's impacting them, you know, physiologically at all. Right, right. <clears throat> uh, well, you know, a, 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 an important point you make is that the effects of cannabis can be idiosyncratic,
1: that if, you know, if there's evidence uh, that demonstrates that people who use it that at least some people who use it a lot develop tolerance and so their level of impairment is is much lower so uh, you know and and, and the um, uh, but there's clearly a need for more research on that but but uh, anyway I, I started out uh, I, I developed I first developed five tasks and and, and tossed out one uh, because um, uh, work I had a memory task but working memory is not uh, related to uh, driving impairment so i ended up with four tasks mm. the first three are divided attention tasks so that and and that's a that's a key skill that's necessary for driving you know uh you know looking down the road checking the speedometer your mirrors uh yelling at the kids in the back seat <laughs> you, you need to be able to do that i mean uh and uh and so, uh, so the, the first task, uh, you know, different shapes flash on the screen, a square or a circle. And you need to uh, – so the user needs to be able to touch the screen in different places depending upon what shape uh, occurs, either either, well, touching where the shape was on the screen or touching the oval at the top of the screen if it's a different shape. Uh, task two – uh, asks the user to all uh, oh, right so task one they're making a they have to make a decision of visual
0: discrimination and then a motor behavior so we're measuring reaction time and errors and so on right so that's like you see a brake light do you hit the brake pedal exactly somewhere yep yeah, and so uh, test two uh, is a
1: time estimation task which of course is research shows is one of the, one of the effects for some people at least of time distortion so so people are asked to you know run a account uh, to 30 seconds in their head while they are touching the screen on the right or left side to, uh, it, where, where circles were flashed. So again, uh, uh, they're doing reaction time, but they're also having to do two things at the same time. Uh, at test uh, three, uh, there's a hand-eye coordination. There's a circle on the screen, and you touch it, and it starts moving all around. You have to track it with your finger while you are also counting the squares that flash on the screen. Uh, and then the fourth task is a, a single leg stand that I drew from the uh, the field sobriety test, uh, the standard field sobriety test that, that police use, which is a really important indicator because if, you know, something like a third to a half of the neurons in the brain are in the cerebellum, which control uh, balance. And so if that's disabled, that's an indicator that you have, you know, pretty pervasive uh, uh, impairment, you know. Uh, in your brain, in your brain. You know, and I, I describe this, and, and people will say, oh, that sounds really hard. Uh, but, of course, uh, but you have to concentrate,
0: and, of course, you have to concentrate during driving. Right? right, right. I mean, maybe, you know, it seems like that's maybe one of the lessons that, uh, that can be gleaned from this is just keeping in proportion how, how dangerous or risky driving can be. And for most of us, it, it's kind of innate at a certain age, but, you know, all of the brain and physical functions that are happening – you know, thousands of times every minute, every decision that you're making on the roads. Uh,
1: Right. And, you know, and and I say, too, that, you know, the uh, the first, Druid is a tool. And, like, even one as simple as a hammer you need to practice it a few times in order to get the results you want and the same is true for druid people's scores usually the first time they do it are you know show some mild impairment even though they haven't had a drink or vaped anything Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know so i encourage people to use it a few times and then you really get a stable sober baseline and once you've established that then when someone uses some uh, drug or their uh, you know, prescription medicine or they're really exhausted, they can have a test to see actually how slow their reaction time is. Um, and I'm actually working on calibrating uh, the Druid score so, so that you know, I, I get a you know, couple hundred you know, data points that are integrated into a single impairment score. And I'm calibrating uh, with research that impairment score to the 0.08 blood alcohol level. Uh, uh because you know and this is an argument i make to anyone who will listen right. that while we criminalize uh canna- cannabis impaired driving the level of impairment that is criminalized should be just the same as the 0.08 level of alcohol otherwise it's discriminatory against cannabis users and up to now there hasn't been uh actually uh you know a, a, a device that uh, the police could use to, to measure the impairment. It's their personal judgment and, you know, walk in a straight line, touch your nose and so on. Uh, uh, while now, and, and taking uh, advantage of mobile technology because of the accelerometer in the, uh, in the mobile devices, it, it you know, measures movement. So while a, a person is holding their, uh, their device uh, and standing on one leg, you're getting a really accurate measure of
0: how much they're moving. Well, and that's, and, and that's what, you know, I think is, is so interesting about this because when I first read about it and thought about it just as an app, that was kind of like a, almost one of the brain uh, brain game apps that you hear about, you know, where it's testing reaction time and coordination and kind of helping you build those skills. But learning a little bit more about the app and hearing you describe this and the point about smartphones and accelerometers, you know, you really are getting that physical feedback. And like you said, it's, it's one tool. It's not the be-all, end-all tool. Um, Necessarily, but I, I do think that's a really important kind of point to make, and and why I do appreciate this. Um, I, I did want to kind of get back to that question of of maybe what this looks like in practical application, because I can definitely you know see myself and and my friends sitting around and testing this in the living room, and it being you know kind of like you have a breathalyzer at a frat house party, right? Um, but how? What do you imagine as far as the the implementation of this? And you know, people like you said, you establish a sober baseline. Is that something that um, enforcement would have a chance to to access? Kind of, what does this look like out in the out in the world if it was to be implemented? And kind of, what would have to be adapted? Yeah, that's a that, that's a good question. And uh, you know, I talked
1: early, uh, very early on, uh, a couple years ago with. Uh, Policy alliance and she raised the issue of privacy that I hadn't even hadn't been thinking of and so uh, use is really completely anonymous people select their own username we don't collect email addresses so law enforcement wouldn't have access to that uh, if, if someone you know did it and scored high. Uh, that, that people's data are only scored, are only saved in our Druid database uh, if they click yes, uh, and we encourage people to 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 do that because the more data we collect, the more precise we can make our estimates and so on like that. Um,
0: I just want to get back to one other one other point that you you made as well, which I think you know I'm an, I'm involved in a fair amount of advocacy and. You know the question of proportional risk at a .08 BAC with alcohol versus a metric for how stoned you are, which is what I'll what I'll ask next. Um, could you give a little bit of perspective as somebody who has done the research and looked at impairment at, at a .02 or a .04 or a .08 versus however many milligrams or nanograms you calculate for cannabis? Well of cannabis
1: is so idiosyncratic uh it it doesn't really make a lot of sense to say exactly how much you have uh uh, consumed uh, because because different people will react differently to the same amount and particularly uh and i actually sent you some data on that 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 how reactive people are depends upon how often they have been using cannabis um, uh, uh so it, it you know I, I think it doesn't really make a lot of sense and and actually the, the national highway traffic safety administration acknowledges that blood tests for thc levels uh uh have no scientific basis uh and should not really be included in any uh in, in any legislation uh saliva tests at uh so far at, at, at this point i'm actually have been collaborating THC saliva assay device Uh, and he tells me that pretty much everything out that's available
0: Right. I mean, yeah, the, the, the irony as far as uh, indicators of cannabis usage and, uh, you know, not being able to produce a sample. Um, and I, I know from these technology, too, that one of the legislative hurdles that helped them kind of advance saliva testing here was the idea of it being used for multiple substances. And it seems like there's not a kind of technology that, you know, one thing like the quantasil or Quantisol. Um, works well for THC, but maybe not for benzos, or one works better for cocaine, but not for uh, opiates. Um, So it does seem, and you seem like somebody who's in the know and actively working on this research, that technologically, we're still not even close to being there. And, you know, there is no federal standard for saliva testing presently, but um, is it something that's technologically looks like it may be feasible, or and again oh, acknowledging you're involved with a with an app you know is is a test like this the actual only way you know is it just physiologically not possible to do a saliva test oh uh... No, uh, actually, uh... professor clowers has gotten
1: some uh, very good data they actually uh... uh collected uh... Did saliva collection sort of all over the mouth and, and it was the the tongue swab for uh... fifteen seconds that was, was able to pick up the most uh, uh, THC, but you know, a point that needs to be made is all that does is demonstrate the presence or absence of a drug. It doesn't demonstrate impairment. And that's what's missing in all these approaches. You know, if I am a daily user, you know, for my whatever medical condition and I don't really, you know, I mean, maybe I might have a slight slowed uh, reaction time or, or something like that, but that doesn't mean I'm impaired. Uh, and so just the presence of it shouldn't be uh, criminalized without, you know, real hard data that's subjective rather than, you know, and I, I you know, police are, you know, most of them are dedicated public servants trying to keep the road safe. Uh, I support that. And, you know, and so I want to give, you know, law enforcement, you know, a tool they can use. But, you know, I didn't develop this to to, to bust people, uh, you know, who are driving stoned. I want to stop them from getting in the car in the first place. Um, that's where the safety happens. If they can, if if they can look at the, um, you know, uh, uh, use the app and say, oh, you know, and I've actually done this and said, oh, my impairment score is much higher than I thought it would be after, you know, that was a lot stronger than I thought. Uh, and so, you know, I've chosen to wait another hour. And I wouldn't have known that, you know, in the what I say is called the pre-druid period. You know, the most someone could say was, yeah, I think
0: I'm okay. Right. But, but now there's a way to, to test that for yourself,
1: for if you're a passenger, to ask the driver, hey, can you just do Druid for a second to see where you are? You've had a couple beers. Oh, and one more point I wanted to make is that can, that Druid is not cannabis specific. It's a general measure of impairment so that, uh, you know, whatever the source. So, and, and something that I hadn't known before I really started this project was that if you combine cannabis and alcohol, you know, which is not uncommon, people, you know, have a joint and then have a couple of beers, something like that, that is much more uh, disabling, uh, uh, creates much more impairment than either substance by itself because they disable sort of different cognitive systems and then interfere with the
0: compensatory uh, behaviors that might otherwise be possible. So, um, well, and I think that you're, what, you, what you're saying, you know, about providing that tool, um, you know, to, to law enforcement is really a great point. And like you said, this being applicable for, for cannabis, for alcohol, for a variety of things, for, you know, if you're emotionally upset, um, you know, if you've been through something traumatic and you need to you kind of check yourself. But um, in the practical reality, I think this is what frustrates a lot of people in, in sort of the cannabis policy talk is, like you said, the idea is that this is something that would be used preventatively, you know, not as a saliva test when you've already been pulled over. Theoretically, you've already done something to the point that you've shown impairment while driving, and this is something that would confirm suspicion as a saliva test. Druid, however, like you said, that's a very practical situation, and I think in Massachusetts, you guys have been talking about cannabis lounges. So for me, it's easy to imagine a scenario in which you have a cannabis lounge that has an in-house Druid you know, machine, um, or that's a policy that bud tenders require, or you have to check a vehicle. I mean, these kinds of extreme ridiculous things we don't require with alcohol, but that (laughs) theoretically we would with alcohol, um, or with cannabis rather. uh, It seems like that's a potential great match where, you know, you're really providing a public safety tool in a way that you can operate a public cannabis space without, you know, with, with having some at least check on the level of impairment in addition to the human check.
1: And it's, um, uh, uh, the uh, you know, if we were real, really serious about safety on the road, we'd lower the blood alcohol, the acceptable blood alcohol level to 0.05, the way the National Academy of Sciences just recommended, because impairment from alcohol starts at a blood alcohol level of about 0.04. Um, but, you know, a lot of the discussion, too, that bothers me is that, uh, you know, the, uh anti-cannabis folks will say, oh, you can't drive for, you know, five hours or something like that uh, after after you, you know, uh, smoke a joint, so that, you know, essentially casting cannabis as something as you're either stoned or you're not and you're stoned for five hours and then you're not stoned when in fact and my data show this really clearly uh is you start at your baseline and then in the first 20 30 minutes your impairment goes up maybe reaching a peak at 45 minutes and then it starts going down and it goes down you know over a period of a few hours so you're not you know and i think most people know That they shouldn't drive at that peak period. You know, like, I'm really wrecked. Uh, But then, as it starts going down, they know that they're not as stoned as they were, you know, half an hour ago. So that leads to the, well, I think I'm okay. When in fact, they can still be at considerable risk for, um, you know, for slowed reaction time, which you know, and if someone, you know, drives really slowly, which a lot of research shows people do, you know, that's going to reduce the risk of an accident. But when you have slowed reaction time, uh, it, it, you know, kid jumps out in front of your car, who knows? You know, you, you shouldn't want
0: to take that risk. Well, and I, I, I gets back to the, the kind of question about, um, you know, in the policy discussions, we were talking earlier about how data and statistics are manipulated. You know, how is your research received, Um, you know, the studies that you're doing, the research you're providing, and, you know, what seems to me like very basic logic about using something to measure impairment rather than confirm suspicion of a substance. Um, You know, when you talk to law enforcement, when you talk to lawmakers, what's, what's the reception and what do you think is the sort of outlook for more of this kind of approach in policy discussions as opposed to what you just discussed? Oh, I, I, I think the, the opportunity is, is,
1: is very big. Uh, I met with a member of the Cannabis Control Commission, showed her um, uh, Druid, uh, and at the end of our meeting she said, wow, there's nothing else but Druid out there. So uh, at, at least I've made some, some headway there. Um, and uh, Druid now is being used in, uh, by cannabis researchers at Yale and uh, uh, Brown and Johns Hopkins and wow. Washington State and UC Boulder. And, and actually, I've just made a connection uh, to uh, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, uh, who uh, is with uh, the, the National Normal the, you know, oh, yeah. the, the organization for marijuana, Mar- and he's very excited about Druid and wants to collaborate with me and do research at
0: SUNY Albany, where he's a psychology professor. So, wow. That's outstanding. Well, I'll I'll extend the invitation publicly to come up here to Vermont, please, <laughs> any any time. We're actually doing a uh, we're having a post-prohibition party on July 1st, and I know Druid is available right now in the App Store. So people who hear this, including legislators, um, policymakers, and skeptics and advocates alike, can actually test this out themselves right now. Right? Absolutely, and it's, it's also in Google Play as well. <laughs> very yes, very important non-discriminatory software. <laughs> Uh, That's great. Well, um, Mike, what do you kind of, what's your, what's your opinion on, I want to ask sort of more broadly about New England before we wrap it up, because you're somebody who's clearly, you know, involved in the details of, of cannabis policy. Um, Everybody in New England's kind of looking at each other and watching what's, what's going on. And I wonder sort of, what do you predict is going to change or not change after, you know, after uh, the summertime hits and you guys are doing... Adult use sales. We will have adult use legalization, and you know, do you think that there is going to be a really fast pace, and that the whole region will be legalized in the next few years, or kind of how do you see this as a as a regional scope? As someone who's talking to people in all these states. Oh uh, uh, yes, I anticipate that.
1: You know, I mean, in large part be, because there is the demand, because there is the public support. Um, uh, uh, and because of the potential tax revenues that are generated, now we're just sending all our money to you know drug lords and whatever uh, the drug cartels. Why not collect money from our citizens using a substance that f- virtually all research indicates is much less harmful than alcohol uh, uh, that people want to use? It, it, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. Oh, you know, and something we haven't even mentioned is the the the, the The studies that are, uh, the increasing number of studies that are showing, uh, you know, peer-reviewed journals, medical journals, that when when medical cannabis is available, uh, opioid, in a a state, opioid deaths, overdose deaths go down, uh, uh, traffic accident fatalities with people with opioids and their deaths decrease, uh, people substitute cannabis for opioids to get pain relief, uh, and you know, so so opposing legalization is just,
0: you know, is criminal in itself, I think. I, you know, and it's, it is it is really a tough, uh, a touchy subject all throughout New England, you know, as far as opiates. And for years, cannabis advocates were afraid to even mention the two words in the same sentence right. because the, unfortunately, the, the status quo thinking was that, you know, drugs are bad and these are all drugs. But I think we are seeing a lot more... Uh, positive outcomes and, you know, the very basic logic proposition that people would rather manage pain or anxiety or insomnia as basic things with, you know, plants that are grown in nearby rather than, uh, prescription pills. So, um, I think that it, hopefully that becomes more of a mainstream argument and mainstream understanding because the, the numbers in the science seem, seem to all be pointing in that direction and, and pretty, uh, pretty hard to deny from, from the folks on the other side. Um, so I'm curious, have you been, have you been approached by, you know, we hear about the pharmaceutical industry's interest in this and, you know, obviously those are the type of companies that would be looking at more, uh, biochemistry based saliva tests and things like that. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like you're facing opposition or resistance from kind of those groups or are they sort of approaching and interested in collaboration?
1: any interaction with them one way or the other mm. uh i mean and in fact see i think druid has the potential to disrupt the you know the drug testing industry uh in in, in a big way uh, and uh you know and cannabis provides an alternative to you know opioids and uh, i mean the, you know studies show that actually spending on a lot of different kinds of drugs decreases when cannabis becomes available so uh, uh, it, it's just a, you know, so I think that, I mean, that's why the pharmaceutical company is one of the big opponents of cannabis legalization, uh, is that, you know, they they can see that people are going to use that instead of their deadly pills, you know, there still are no recorded overdoses from cannabis, you know. That's-
0: uh, that's right. I, these these pesky these pesky facts and uh, and direct logic, Mike. It's really tough to <laughs> tough to overcome. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to to speak with us. Um, I know that we've got a long process ahead of us here in Vermont, and I hope that we're able to get you up here officially on the record. I know we'll we'll share this with our our lawmakers, and um, you know hopefully can can get you testifying as we continue to talk about this because I think uh, a lot of people here in Vermont as far as the public share that kind of pragmatic <laughs> viewpoint. And uh, I know for myself, you know, as a publisher of an online media company, um, love new technology, uh, love trying it out. So I'm gonna download this and try it out myself and we'll probably make a video in the next few weeks uh, taking a test and see if we can get some patients to do a baseline and see what they think. But uh, for everybody else, it is available, you know, if you search Druid online, um, you can find a lot of information, articles, interviews with Mike, uh, and also, you can download the app in both the Apple Store and on Google Play. Uh, and and uh, also, we
1: do have a website, uh, uh, www.druidapp.com. And I actually – I have um, – I testified uh, uh, back in December in the Washington state to the Public Safety Committee of, of the legislature uh, and um, – uh, we presented this saliva assay device and drew it, and on the committee were some former uh, uh, law enforcement officers who are now state reps. And at the end of our presentation, they said, "Wow, we got to change the law." So uh, uh, I would be happy uh, to uh, participate and testify uh, whenever that would be helpful.
0: Wonderful. Well, Professor, I, I keep calling I keep calling you Mike, but I should really be addressing you as Professor <laughs> here. Um, That's- Professor, thank you very much for, for taking the time to share this. We will uh, look forward to spreading this around and, uh, and giving it a try, and I will certainly be back in touch again soon. So there you have it, my conversation with Professor Michael Milburn. Very cool to learn about the Druid app. You can find it online at www.druidapp.com. That's D-R-U-I-D-A-P-P.com. You can also find it in the Apple Store uh, and in the Google Play Store. Now, I want to make this clear, there is no financial consideration paid to this. Um, I wish that was the case. Actually, he would have been smart to do some advertising. Maybe I'll hit him up afterwards. But uh, we reported on this because it is very timely here in Vermont. And because I've known about this forever, I've talked about uh, getting in touch with Mike, Michael forever. And to be honest, I'm really disappointed that in the saliva testing discussion in Vermont, This guy who is on the radar of policymakers, did not even get a chance to testify. So if you're listening to this and you live in Vermont, you have a state senator, you can send him or her this interview and say, we need this individual, Professor Milburn, to talk about this technology, and even more than his technology, his research. Find one of his other colleagues that's worked with him. You know, find a neutral third party if you want. But we need to be talking about this instead of talking just about saliva testing and how the court cases that are going to inevitably result will turn out. So that's my challenge to you if you live here in Vermont, my little advocacy rant at the end, as well as a plug to share the podcast. We are going to be doing this every two weeks. I think we finally settled on a schedule. And thanks in part to the excellent editorial help by Morgan True. We have got our news reporting, Worrying Like a Machine. We have got a new... Writer, who we're going to bring on board. If you're still listening, you're going to get an exclusive sneak peek. We're going to bring a PhD, our first PhD, into Hedy Vermont. How about them apples? All right, guys, stay tuned, download, and subscribe. Leave a review if you enjoy what you hear. Leave some suggestions about what you want to talk about in the future. If you have questions for the podcast, you can always reach me at Hedy Vermont, Eli at Hedy all the social media channels at Hetty Vermont and at Vermontawana. Until then, everybody out there, stay safe and elevate the state. We're going to end the show with a little outro from The West End Blend. This is from their album Attitude. Again, no financial promotional consideration. They were cool enough to talk with me. Wanted to give them a shout out and I'm pumped to see them back here in Burlington. So, enjoy The West End Blend. Uh,